Good morning. I am so excited to see you here, and I'm thankful that you made it here uh, safely. Um, and so we were, yeah, really debating on whether or not to call it, but uh, quickly the roads began to thaw, and we thought, everybody's already here. It's safer just to stay till the end of this service and see what it looks like. And so we're trusting that, uh, for the most part, the roads are actually improving right now, um, but still be cautious when you leave out today. Bridges, um, even here on campus, the sidewalks are all thawed except for where there's shade. Uh, so just be cautious as you walk out to your car and as you head home after the service. And as always, thankful that you're here today and God uh, granted you safety to get here. So uh, excited that you're here. If you're visiting with us today, what a day to visit. Um, thankful that you're here. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, um, I would love that opportunity after the service. I'll hang around down front and we'll be glad to uh, get to meet you and get to know you and what led you to Solid Rock and answer any questions that you have. A um, couple things. We're going to be in uh, the book of Acts chapter 2 this morning. If you want to go ahead and, and head that way, uh, turn there in your Bible. As always, if you don't have a Bible um, and don't, don't own a Bible, we put Bibles under the seats around you. And that's our free gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word to take home with you, so feel free to snag that and even take it home if, if you'd like. Um, so a couple things, though, just to get us ready for um, everything that's going to transpire today. So um, this afternoon, uh, it, and again, it looks like the roads are going to cooperate, at least at this point. Uh, sun is on its way out. Ice should be melted at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, as we mentioned last week, we're doing our meet and greet with the Rathbun family. Uh, this is our family from Salt Rock Church that has... Uh, has lived on mission in the Philippines for the last year, and so we're going to get to hear about that year this afternoon, but also uh, we're going to hear about the trip that's coming up this summer. I know a, a lot of people are interested and begin asking questions about what it's going to look like and what does it take to go, and so we're going to try to answer as many of those questions as we can um, this afternoon at four o'clock, and so I want to invite you back for that meet and greet uh, today. Um, also, if you are thinking about going on the mission trip this summer, thinking about it. Even if you're not quite sure, we need you to go ahead and grab one of the uh, applications. It's on the, the table as you head out on the right. If you'll snag one of those and just bring it back with you next Sunday, this is not an obligation to go at all. It just helps us begin to get a head count of who's interested. Uh, it helps us know who to pray for and then who to, uh, to reach out to to answer any questions that you might have as you discern whether or not God would have you go. So once again, it's not a commitment, but the mission team needs to know uh, about how many people are thinking about this, and then again, it helps us kind of get prepared and organized. So be sure you grab one, bring it back next Sunday. There'll be no guilt if you turn one in and say, oh, I'm not going. Like, that's not what this is about. This is a, just a tool to help us get started. So, um, all right, so we are week three of the All In series. Um, I want to hit some high-level stuff to begin with, and then we'll, we'll get into Acts chapter two this morning. So um, I want to start off as we've started off uh, the last two Sundays. And so I want to answer some big questions. Why are we doing this? What is it all about? For some of you, why are we doing it again? And, uh, and what is this leading up to? So let's just talk through those things. So first of all, um, why are we going through All In again? First of all, that was the plan. We planned on doing that last year as we called the church to make a commitment, 24 months. We said, hey, but we're going to be revisiting this in 12 months, reassessing, okay? And so this is that time where we're doing that. Um, the primary reason that reasons we're doing this are we've had over a hundred new families visit our church and like fill something out or contribute in some way since we did all in last year. So we know there are a lot of new families here, new folks here who don't have a, really an idea of what it is. And so we're going through it again uh, for those folks. 
Um, but for families that have been here, um, like many of you and myself, this is a chance for us to reevaluate um, why we're all in to begin with and to kind of think about um, what that means. I, I don't know about you, but actually I do know about you. You're a lot like me. Our hearts are prone to wonder, right? Our hearts are prone to make commitments and then wonder, whether that's your marriage, uh, your commitment to raise your children in a certain way, to engage in your job in a certain way, um, a commitment you make to a friend or to an associate. Like, our hearts are prone to wonder, right? It's prone to make commitments up front and then wane or wonder. And so we need to go back through the All In series to re-anchor our hearts to the main things, to revisit the reasons why we're doing this to begin with. Okay, so when we hear the words All In, um, if you're new here, if you've been here for 20 years, um, if you walk away from one of our services and you think of all in, you hear those words and you think about buildings or money, you've missed it. I love you, but you've missed it. Okay, That's not the main point. What we're talking about are lives, mine and yours, completely surrendered to Jesus, right? ready to follow him wherever he goes, all in. That will impact all of my life, right? How I in, engage in my marriage, right? How I love my wife will, will, will be a, kind of a telltale sign um, of really my commitment to follow Jesus because I'm going to follow him. He's going to command me to love her well. How I, how I lead my boys should be an indication of where my heart is and my desire to follow Jesus. And that transcends into every arena of my life, including my finances and my commitment to the church and my commitment to live my life on mission, all of that comes from my primary commitment to follow Jesus. And so when we say all in, that's what we're talking about specifically, okay? Now, the first week of the series, we looked at God's mission. We asked this question, what is God's mission? What is he up to on the west side of Fort Worth? So what, what is God up to so that we can better understand what we're supposed to be up to, what we're supposed to be joining him in? And we came back in week two and we looked at how God's mission becomes our mission, my mission, your mission, personal. Like what God is up to in my neighborhood should be what I'm up to in my neighborhood, right? What God is up to in the city I live in should be what I'm up to in the city that I live in. And so today we're going to look at how my mission is really part of our mission. And I think this is one of the places where it begins to break down for us. We look at the Bible, we go, okay, clearly God's up to something. Undeniably, God has a mission. And then as Christ followers who have experienced the life transformation of the gospel, like we looked at Isaiah last week, how his immediate response to being forgiven was, I want to live for you, God. And so personally, I don't think we struggle with that as much. But where I think it begins to break down is when we begin to realize, oh, wait a second. God is not only calling me, he's calling us. And so in a lot of ways, my mission is your mission and your mission is my mission because God's calling us as a church to a singular mission. And so today we're going to look at our mission as a church. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Now all this is culminating um, up to Commitment Sunday next Sunday. Just a couple things about next Sunday. If you were here last year, it's going to be very similar format um, as what we did last, uh, last time, last year. And so we'll be uh, filling out commitment cards and turning those in. We want to talk about the commitment card for just a minute. Um, but for, for a, a lot of us, it's going to feel very familiar. It's supposed to, okay? Just want you to know, it's supposed to feel familiar, okay? And so our commitment card really serves as 
um, it, it, it serves several different functions. I wanted to talk through that with you because I want to make sure we're all on the same page. So, so I would say on a practical, functional level, um, our commitment cards, when we collect them all up, we process those confidentially, just like we do all of our giving here. I have no idea who gives what other than my family, okay? The only thing I will know and that you will know is the big number of all of our commitments added up together. However, we're about to engage in construction, financing, and those sorts of things. So when we, when we talk to a bank, we can't just say, hey, we've got great members at our church, and they're, they're committed. They're all in. They're going to say, fantastic. Can you show me something on paper that would indicate that your people are committed? And that's, So those commitment cards serve as like a tangible, functional reflection of our commitment together. We can show the bank and go, yeah, like, these are the commitments. And what's awesome is that we did it last year, and we can show them, look, we're still committed. We're still all in. And so we do need to refill those commitment cards out. Now, more importantly, though, uh, than, than what the bank asks for or needs is this. Um, so the, the commitment cards really serve as like this tangible um, reminder, if you will, an opportunity uh, to seek the Lord with your family. So like this year, um, Hallie and I did this last year. I'm excited to include the boys in on this this week, okay? So leading up to next Sunday, I'm excited for opportunities to sit down with our boys, to pray about it, to share with them about how we made the decision last year, let them pray with us and talk about this commitment we're making as a family. So the commitment card is going to help us do that this week. Um, but I would even say more important than that, what it will be for us, and I hope it will be for you, is essentially your commitment card will be like a diary entry. It's an opportunity for you to seek the Lord and then write down whatever he says to you. Right? Does that make sense? So as you seek the Lord, as he calls you and leads you and your family uh, to make a certain commitment, it's just something about writing that down, whether it's in a journal or as a prayer request. I really want you to have that perspective of your commitment card that this is simply us. Like, that should be exciting. God has spoken to us as a family, and we're writing that down. And you fold it up, and again, they're dropped in baskets, and they're, they're processed and counted confidentially. Um, only like two people in the whole church will know and they're the same two people who know about all the finances of the church. All we're going to know is the big number. I, you know what I mean? I don't know if, if, you know, if, you've, if you're committed to $10 or $10 million. It won't matter. We're not going to give anybody uh, extra credit for giving more money. It's all about throwing all in together, right? All of us together saying we're all in God, and we're going to celebrate whatever the number is, right? We said that last year. Whether the commitment is at our expectation or exceeds it or is under that, we're going to get excited. We're going to give gratitude to God for whatever he leads us to do as a church. Amen? I want to talk through those things before we get to next Sunday because I really want you as a family unit to be praying and seeking the Lord this week. I really do. I want to encourage you to do that. Now, this week we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, um, and I'm really, I love this passage of Scripture. Um, as I look back over the last 10 years of the Solid Rock story, um, I can't think of a passage of Scripture that has come up more frequently or had a more significant impact on who we are as a church, like practically, the way we do things as a church. Acts chapter 2. Now, apart from the Solid Rock story, when you just read the story of the Bible, it's a really significant moment because it's the birth of the church, so you can't go to the book of Genesis and find the church. You can find men and women who fear God, know God, follow God, 
men and women who God is using on earth to accomplish things, but you won't find the church, right? It's not until after the resurrection, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to his followers that the church is born. So in Acts chapter two, here's what happens. God pours out his Holy Spirit, like he promised, on his followers. They begin to proclaim the gospel in such a way that people are hearing it in different tongues and languages. And, and so Peter steps up, preaches this sermon, and then in, in, in Acts 41, we read that about 3,000 people became Christians. That was the birth of the church. Not the, the birth of followers of Jesus or God-fearing men and women. That was the birth of the church in that moment. And so that's what we're going to read together in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. We read these words. So, those who received his word, Peter just preached the gospel, those who received his word were baptized. It's an exciting moment. We're going to get to do a baptism in the next service from somebody who's believed the gospel and now they want to be baptized. So they were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Don't let that just like brush right by you. That's a big day for the church. 120 believers before this moment from 120 to 3,000 one sermon later. Verse 42 describes now what the church looked like in its infancy, day one. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed... Believed what? The gospel, right? All who believed Peter's message, the gospel, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And what a beautiful picture of church. And in so many ways, these verses have guided and still guide how we do things as a church, how we strive to do things as a church. Now, one of the first things you note here that the, their response to the gospel was baptism and then what? Devotion. And they were devoted to some specific things. The apostles' teachings. That makes sense, right? The, the, the apostles taught the gospel. They proclaimed the gospel. They taught the gospel. They're, they're teaching. And the, the believers, they're kind of hung on every word and were soaking it in. And they, they were devoted to this teaching. What else were they devoted to? Prayer. Devoted to prayer. Now, that doesn't need a lot of explanation, right? We most of us understand what prayer is. We need some help on how to do it and to do it sometimes, but we know what it is, right? It's communing with God. It's speaking to God. It's listening to God. It's just sitting still in God's presence. That's, those are modes of prayer, if you will. They were devoted to prayer. Apostles' teaching, to prayer, to breaking of bread. 
There's some debate on, was this communion in the formal sense, or was this just sharing a meal in their homes? I personally think it was all the above. We know that the church was celebrating communion, but we also read they were breaking bread in their homes, and so it's all those sorts of things combined together. And then this fourth thing that I really want to stop and talk through for just a minute is the word translated fellowship. They were devoted to the fellowship. And this is a really interesting word. It's the Greek word koinonia. You may have heard that before. Maybe you've seen a ministry that was called that or a church that was called that. or You've heard that word maybe in church. So what's so beautiful about the word koinonia, it just doesn't have a singular definition for it. It's kind of a multifaceted word. It means a lot of things at the same time. So what are some of those things that it means? Um, first of all, it's the idea of sharing something together. So like if we shared a meal together, we sat down and we have one hamburger and we cut it in half and I share it with you, that's koinonia. Very practical word, right? We're just sharing our stuff with each other, okay? Um, But it also has this implication of relational intimacy and it means to come in contact with one another, okay? So when you walk in uh, to church today and you got a hug or a handshake, that was koinonia, like more than just passing by and saying, what's up, or how you doing, fine, fine, walking by, when you stop and engage another believer, that's koinonia, right? It's, it's more intimate relationship than casually just passing by somebody. That's the second thing that it means. And third, this is what it means. It means to give a, a common, benevolent gift together. So when we think about koinonia, we think about people, which are people are involved in all that, but even when we come together on Sundays and we, we drop in our, our offerings in the brown boxes, that's koinonia. So you could be at my house sharing a hamburger with me, side of fries, that's koinonia, if we're believers. Um, you walk in on Sunday and we do more than just say, what's up, what's up, but we give each other a hug and we say, hey, it's glad, I'm glad to see you, it's good to see you, and like mean it, and that's koinonia. But also when we come together, when you're, like your community group comes together to meet the needs, that's koinonia, a common gift coming together to meet a benevolent need. So that's a beautiful word, isn't it? Like it implies a lot about who we are and how we're supposed to operate, which is why when you read the, the rest of those verses, Luke spends some effort describing the koinonia, right? Did you catch those descriptions as he was talking? So, verse 45 very specifically lays this out. Listen to verse 45 again. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What a beautiful portrait of koinonia. So it wasn't enough for Luke, who's writing this down, to say, oh yeah, they were, you know, they were also devoted to the koinonia. He's like, let me just tell you about what it looked like, because it was exciting, Like more than just like, you know, trimming off a little bit of my excess and giving it away or more than just like cutting off 10% and tithing and give it to the church. These people are like selling their stuff to meet one another's needs. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful and hard. Beautiful and uncomfortable. Beautiful and sacrificial. But that's what it means to be a part of the koinonia. selling their stuff and distributing to meet the needs of anyone who had a need. Now, 
in your uh, all-in booklets, if you're following along and you're taking notes, we're going to walk through some fill-in-the-blank statements. There are four of them. Um, but before we get there, I want to I I help correct some misconceptions about the word mission. Okay? So the common misconception about mission, you hear that word and you think a trip or an event that you participate in. Right? The mission. Oh, Philippines. Oh, he just said mission. Oh, we're talking about Flint, Michigan, or Yukon, Oklahoma, or you know, the food bank. Now, those are places that you can live out the mission, but that's not what we mean by mission. Matter of fact, our mission outside of the walls of this church really does not happen effectively and biblical unless we're first living the mission inwardly. Hear me on this, church. We first have an inward mission. That's what koinonia is, loving one another, serving one another, giving to one another, encouraging one another, admonishing one another, sometimes rebuking one another. But we have to be engaged in the koinonia, living that mission inside the walls if we're ever going to be the church that we're called to be outside of the walls. So when you hear mission, you need to think inward and outward, right? Inward and outward. You're serving here at the church. When you volunteer, you're living the mission Primarily inward. If you're in Awana, right, we might have visitors who come in, but you're primarily leading kids from this congregation, right? Serving the tech team is up here serving like crazy every Sunday at 7 a.m. or before they're up here getting all this stuff ready for us. And like they're living the mission inwardly when they're doing that. The first principle is this those who have been saved are devoted to the mission of Jesus inside the church. Did you catch that? So the question isn't, am I called to serve inside the church? The question is, are you saved? How many of these believers were devoted to this? Did you catch the number of them? All of the believers were together and had all things in common. How many of them? Just the kids' ministry folks? Those are the really committed ones? No. All of the believers were committed to this inward mission. Now, it looks different. Some of you serve in kids. Some of you serve in greetings. Some of you serve upstairs. Some of you have unofficial roles, but you're still operating in giftings from the Holy Spirit, serving the church, living this inward mission. If you're saved, you're called. So who's called to, to serve on mission inside the church? I don't know. Who's saved? Okay, those of you who are saved are called. Now, we're going to shift now to talk about the outward mission because that's embedded in the text as well. So what we just read is bookended by two statements about the mission outside the church. 41 says this, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Those 3,000 souls didn't follow Jesus the day before. They weren't part of the church. You follow me? Peter proclaimed the gospel, and people outside of the church became Christians, and now we're part of the inside of the church. That's the, that, that was the beginning of the passage, but look at how it ends, verse 47. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who, what, were being saved. See how this passage is bookended by the gospel being proclaimed, and, and those outside the church becoming Christians and joining this movement of the church. So, we can't just be people focused on our inward mission, right? Because what's going to happen? Us for no more. The waters are going to become stagnant. The, the church growth is going to stall out and begin to decline if we're not also living the mission outward. 
we really desired this run through on all in to be missionally focused, to remind ourselves of what the mission is and who's called to be a part of it. As we think about the mission outside of these walls, we think about our immediate community around the church. Getting ready for this sermon series, we did some demographic study work and actually uh, the Tarrant County Baptist Association here in Fort Worth um, put together this huge booklet of just, just demographic info for our area. And we got that from them and began to look at the stats of the families living in our area with just a couple mile radius of this building. Let me just throw some of these stats up there on the screen. This is in your all-in booklets as well, if you want a reminder when you go home, but let's talk through it. So again, these were just a few like snapshots that we took from these demographics. Um, first of all, 17.8% of the people living within just a couple miles of the church are divorced or widowed. And why is that important? Well, first of all, that's one in five people. That's a pretty significant amount of the population. But if you have ever been widowed or divorced or been with somebody, a family member who has ever been widowed or divorced... Those things often come with a lot of heartache and brokenness. Whether you're directly involved or indirectly revolved, right? Divorce doesn't happen without everybody getting hurt. Okay, so what does that mean? We've got a lot of folks in our immediate community who are hurting, who are wrestling every day with brokenness, wondering where do I find the solution to my problem? Many of them have been searching the internet, self-help books, right? We have the answer here, right? Don't we? We have the life-giving hope of the message that Jesus loves you and he meets you where you are. He walks with you through brokenness and he heals you. The church has been called to give that message. Nobody else in our community. Look at the next statistic. The percentage of people in our community who are struggling with alcohol and drug addiction. This does not include the vast list of other addictions, pornography and all the other things that people in our community are struggling. This is just drug and alcohol. 15%. 15%. Wow, that's like one in six and a half people struggling with that. Oftentimes, it's the entire household that's struggling with that, right? Mom and dad and these, these kiddos are growing up. Some of you grew up in households like this. So you know firsthand the heartache and the brokenness and the darkness associated with those kinds of struggles. Listen, God sent the church to this community to push back the darkness for those people. Nobody else has been called in this community to do that but the church. And guys, listen, it's not the building. We can't pick this building up and take it to somebody's house. You're the church. This is our mission. Not my mission or his mission or her mission. It's our mission. This is what God has called us to. You see this big number right here, 61. So over 60% are not engaged or somewhat engaged in faith of any kind. A lot of folks within a couple miles of this church are not walking in relationship with Jesus. Listen, folks, this is our mission. And just to make matters worse, this community is not getting smaller. Matter of fact, from year 2000 to to 2022, um, 95% growth increase in 20 years here in this, this area, which used to seem like a far off, like we hear 2022, we think like Star Trek or something. Like it's 2018, y'all. This, this community around us is exploding, and guess what's happening? We don't just have all these perfect families moving in who have everything together. More brokenness is moving in. More addiction is moving in. More darkness is moving in, and God has positioned this church, you and I, to be here in this community to push back against the darkness. This is our mission, church. 
Now, we've been called to serve beyond this city. Come back at four o'clock and we'll tell you all about it. Because our mission doesn't just end with this city, right? It extends to the state, to the nation, to the nations, to the ends of the earth, which is why we're in the Philippines. Here's the most important thing we have to understand. All of the people were together and had everything in common. Church, this is our mission. Those who have been saved, this is principle number two, are called to live the mission of Jesus outside the church. Who's called to to live the mission outside the church? Jesus would say, let me see a show of hands. Who's saved here? Because you're called. Inside and outside. Your mission is going to look different from somebody else's mission. Not everybody's going to go to the Philippines, right? Some of you work at Lockheed. Some of you are hairdressers and teachers and electricians, construction workers, and all across the board, lawyers and business owners and medical field. We all have these mission fields that God has given to us. But we're all called to live the mission in our everyday lives. Now, I want to talk for just a minute about getting real, can we? So, it's not enough to just wear the t-shirt around here. Follow me? It's not enough to just put on a t-shirt that says, I love Jesus, I live for Jesus. Okay? I'm not telling you not to wear those t-shirts, but I'm just telling you, that doesn't equate to living the mission. You put on the all-in shirt, and you wear it around town, it says we're all in, but right, that shirt doesn't mean anything unless it's a reflection of your inward commitment. And now, here's the thing. You want to know what my mission in life is? All you need to do is audit my time and my money for 30 days, and you'll know exactly what my mission is. And it doesn't matter what I tell you it is or what T-shirt I'm wearing, you'll be able to see what's true. Just audit my time, how I spend my time, and audit my money. So, for example, if I say that my wife means the world to me, and out of the people who live in my house, she's number one. And our marriage matters. And if I talk this big talk to you, and you come audit my, my schedule for the month, and you go, Jason, but where did you, you didn't spend any time with her. Where, you don't even go on a date, right? You didn't spend any money on your wife. Like, it doesn't matter what I say. It's what I do. It's how I spend my time, my resources, my money that indicates where my mission is. So, you really want to know what your mission in life is? Go home this week and audit. Don't bring it to me. I don't want to know. You audit. Between you and Jesus, where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my resources? God, show me my functional mission in life. I don't care what my t-shirt says. Where's my heart? Jesus says, oh, you want to know? Look for your treasure. That's where your heart will be. Look at where you spend your treasure. Look at the things you treasure. That's where your heart will be. Now, principle number three. Those who have been saved share their resources generously for the mission of Jesus. Once again, who were the generous people in this congregation? Somebody just said it. Say it louder. All of them. All the believers had everything in common. They were all together and had everything in common. Each of them was selling their possessions to meet the need as any had need. Now, do we know, were, were some of them giving more money than others? Yeah, but is that the point? No. Luke's not trying to give credit to any particular person for being more generous. Or, he's saying, listen, when you describe the whole, they were all generous. 
different levels, each according to his means and his ability to, to steward. And like, right, that's not Luke's point, is to point out specific people who are like uber generous. Luke's just saying, listen, the church was generous. Like, what a great description of a church. Those who had been saved were generous, which will lead us to this fourth principle, the why behind it. Why? Why did this first church react this way? Is it because they, uh, you know, Peter was a good salesman? Or maybe they did an all-in initiative, and that's why they were so generous? I think that the answer is embedded in verse 46. Read verse 46 with me again. Day by day, attending the temple together, that would be like their weekly gathering, kind of like we do on Sundays, breaking bread in their homes, so they were living together outside of Sundays, But look at what we read next. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Those last four words tell us so much. Where did their generosity come from? Their gladness. What were they glad about? (laughs) The grace of Jesus. That's what happened. That was the thing that that moved them. Over 3,000 souls believed the message, were baptized, became the church, devoted themselves to what? Apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, prayer, the koinonia, the fellowship. Luke says, you want to know what that looked like? Dude, they were selling junk. They were taking care of one another. All this generosity that you saw came from what? Their gladness. So for me, like, let me just break it down for you. For my life, when I ever, if and when I find myself hesitating or wrestling with being generous... I don't have a money issue. I've got a gladness issue. doesn't matter if it's money or time. So if I'm driving down the road and I see you with a flat tire, if my immediate response isn't just to pull over, if I hesitate, I pull over and drive and I say, oh, look at there, it goes John Grubb. Well, he's a good man. He knows how to change a tire. He's fine. I saw a tire tool in his hand. You know, all the excuses you give yourself for not pulling over. By the time I turn around in traffic and get back there, he's going to have it fixed anyway. And like, you know what I mean? If I find myself hesitating to be generous with my time in that moment, it's not a time management issue, it's a gladness issue, and I need to take a step back and take some inventory on the goodness of God in my life. I need to reflect on God's grace for me. I may need to go home and journal about, once again, about all the amazing sins that I've been forgiven for. You know what I mean? Just to recount God's goodness to me. Because if I'm walking in an awareness of his grace, guess what's going to, my heart's going to be glad and I'm stopping for you every time. Even if the flat is changed and you're done, you're getting back in your car, I'm still going to pull over. Is there anything else you need? You okay? Everything good? Like why? Because gladness compels us to be generous with our lives. That's where their generosity came from, church. This was not just random, arbitrary obedience. This is just what they did because they were glad. These folks were walking in this newfound freedom that comes from meeting Jesus. Paul will go on to describe this gladness coming from the dead man becoming alive. John describes it in John chapter 3 as being born again. However you want to describe being saved, right, this The shackles are gone. The guilt is gone. The shame is gone. I am forgiven. I walk with God. I'm glad. You'll know I'm glad because I'm ready to just give my stuff away to meet the needs of others. A generosity that's rooted in gladness. 
The last principle this morning we're going to look at is the grace of Jesus causes our hearts to overflow with gladness and generosity. Can I make a bold statement? If you desire to be generous in the all-in initiative for the sake of simply wanting to be generous or known as generous, keep your money and your commitment. Did he just say that? Yes. If it is not coming out of your gladness, of God's goodness to you, keep your money. God doesn't need it. Can you hear me on that? He doesn't need it. We're not giving to all in because God needs our money. We're giving because we're glad. Lives are being changed. People are giving their hearts to Jesus. They're being baptized. They're joining the mission with us. Lives are being transformed. Marriages are being reconciled. Addictions are being broken. And like, we're glad about that, aren't we? And that gladness leads us to be generous. This is a really important time for us as a church. And I'm going to ask you to do something this week. I want you to seek the Lord this week, okay? If you're single, don't have a significant other, I want you to seek the Lord this week, you and the Lord. God, show me what my generosity needs to look like at Solid Rock Church. It's between you and him, not you and me, okay? If you're married, I want you to seek the Lord with your spouse this week. I want to encourage you to do that. I want you to think about, not a commitment card, but I want you to think about asking God, what would you have us do? If you've got kiddos and you want to include them in that, I encourage you, include your children in that. Sit down at least once this week and just talk about it. Hey, we're getting ready to make this commitment and and explain the why behind it so our kids aren't confused. We're not paying bills, right? Our hearts are overflowing in generosity and let your kids seek the Lord with you. And my hope would be we would come in next week with glad and generous hearts ready to celebrate whatever God wants to do. What I don't want to do is have us walk in next week having not thought about it. Now, if that may happen some, that's fine, but my hope is that starting right now, we would begin, if you haven't yet, just ask Lord, what would you have me do? You know what? Um, I'm excited to do this with my wife, Hallie, and my boys, Hudson and Calvin. We didn't include the boys last year, and I want to do it this year. I'm excited to do that. Not because I think the number's going to change. I have no idea. I'm not anticipating it will. Right? But we're going to posture ourselves before the Lord, seek his face, listen to his voice, and, and our goal would be to respond in faith in whatever he says. And I just encourage you to do the same. So questions to think about as we wrap up today. And these questions are in your booklet too. I just encourage you maybe even to make this a part of your conversation with your family. Um, Here's the first question. Do you live in gratitude and generosity as a response to the grace of Jesus in your life? In general, do you see yourself as a glad and generous person? And if not, maybe like me, you need to just take a step back and just look at fresh and anew the grace of God and how good he's been to you. Is your life devoted to the internal mission of Solid Rock Church through gathering in worship and then living in gospel-centered community? Are you engaged in the inward mission here as a church? Is your life devoted to the external mission of Solid Rock Church by living your mission for Jesus in your everyday life, your workplace, your home, your neighborhood? Do you believe that the mission to which Jesus has called Solid Rock is worth the investment of your life, your time, your resources? 
Uh, I don't want you to answer. These are rhetorical. Don't answer these to me. I just want to encourage you to think about this this week. And then fifth and finally, are you willing to ask Jesus to show you how you can give your time and money to the common mission of Solid Rock Church? I don't know. You've got to answer that question. Are you willing to do that just to say, all right, for better or for worse, here we go, God. What would you have me do? Like Isaiah did last week. Here I am. Send me. Here's what I want to do. I want to spend a moment just praying for you and for us today as a church. And we're going to get a chance to listen to a testimony from one of our families. And then the band is going to come up after that and lead us in a time of response. Um, Our prayer partners will be down front. If you want to grab a prayer partner to pray with, we also have counseling and prayer rooms open in the back. If you just want to stay seated, you're welcome to do that as well. If you want to stand and sing, you can do that. If you're here today and you have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior, even if you don't fully know what that means, I'm especially talking to you, I want to encourage you to do something courageous. Would you grab one of our prayer partners today and say, tell me more about becoming a Christian and what that means? They would be honored and love to talk through that with you, and then pray with you about making that decision. So however God lands on you today, I'm going to pray that we'll respond. Let's pray together, and then we'll listen to a testimony. God, thank you for this beautiful, powerful reminder from Acts 2 of what your church looks like. And Father, even though we visit this passage often, God, we aren't quite there yet. Even this morning, God, you've shown us each one of us in small and maybe even different ways, how our, how our lives, God, are not fully lined up with, with this portrait of, of a church that we read about in Acts. And so, God, today, I thank you that when you show us these things, it doesn't bring guilt or shame, but, God, just genuine conviction, Father. And as you convict our hearts this morning, God, we pray we could respond by trusting you, by believing you. So Father, we pray you would lead us now, you give us the faith we need to respond, we pray it in Jesus' name.